Hey everyone, it's Mariah and Danny. Welcome to our podcast, Behind Behavior, where we take a look at the science behind behavior and how we actually use it in real life. Short disclaimer, nothing we say on this podcast in any way reflects the opinions of our employers or the BACB. All opinions are our own. Also, there may or may not be some explicit content or language in this episode. One of us tends to swear and the other one usually doesn't. Join us to find out. Welcome to the podcast, Danny. Hello, hello. How are you, Mariah? I'm doing pretty good. Chilling. Yeah, feeling good? Feeling lit. Let's see if your data matches your litness. Ooh, I'm scared now. <laughs> All right, picking up from our last episode where we talked about the science of well-being, the Yale course that Danny and I have been taking on Coursera. It's a 10-week course, and we covered weeks one through five last time. So this time we're going to jump right in to week six. Um, This past week, there was no rewirement challenge which is pretty great. Everybody likes no homework. Right. But instead, this is kind of like the downhill slope of the course where they start having you actually apply the skills that they've been teaching you. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. I don't think I even did week six, to be honest with you. Um, I did week six and it was just two short videos and then there's a third video with an interview which i did not cover in week six they talk about the five things we should want because earlier we learned about things we typically want versus things we're miswanting Mm -hmm. and how we should like rewire our brain to actually want these following five things which are kindness social connection time affluence They call it mind control, but it's really like having the ability to control our thoughts and just be more self-aware. And then healthy practices, which they really home in on sleep and exercise. I'm going to let you talk because I did not watch week six at all. (laughs) I was like, I know enough. Oh, it's okay. I got you guys. So the other video is how to apply these habits. So we briefly go back into the science, referencing a few articles, which I thought were pretty interesting. So first she mentions finding situations that support you, which in my BCBA mind really means change and modify the environment that we're in. Mm. So specifically, before she even referenced this in like a food aspect, I was thinking like, oh, the best way to modify your environment to get better results with like your diet or however you're intending to eat is like really initially winning that battle at the grocery store. Like if you don't want to eat junk food, then don't buy junk food when you're at the grocery store. That's true. Because the cost response of me going to like 
get in the car, run down the street to the gas station and like pick up a candy bar is just so high. I'm literally never going to do that. No, that's so true. I'm such a healthy person at the grocery store. And then I get home the next day and I'm like, who bought this? Right. You're like, (laughs) I hate healthy Danny. (laughs) But it's way easier. So Mm -hmm. she references um, kind of a study like that with Painter at all from 2002, where they did a study of people who work at a desk and they basically like changed the proximity of a candy bar to see if this would increase their likelihood of eating the candy bar if it was closer to them or decrease it if it was further away and how it affect their healthy eating habits spoiler they eat it if it's closer to them because then it's just a convenience food Mm -hmm. um which i thought was pretty fun that that just really plays into the data how accurate that is there's another study by Wansink at all from 2016 and they cover what food is on your countertop like what you're gonna see automatically and what's the most accessible is something you're gonna reach for more often so that has a huge contributing factor in like what you're reaching to kind of snack on so if you just have like cereal laying out you're gonna eat cereal and you're gonna get terrible results And then I looked at my own counter and I was like, oh, I have pears and like orange peppers. And I was like, I feel pretty good about myself right now. (laughs) I know. I'm trying to think like what's on my counter in my kitchen right now. I think we've got some bananas, apples. Yeah. Like all stuff I wouldn't be mad about. Mm -hmm. So lastly, in week six, and this is the bulk of the content. They talk about goal setting and how we can actually move the stuff we learn into how to apply it. So she says that goal setting should be specific, which, again, as a behavior analytic brain, I think of this as being objective and measurable. Mm-hmm. And then the second step would be they talk about mental contrasting. So this is kind of a technique where you visualize success in whatever your goal is. And then you indulge in how great it will be to contact that reinforcement, basically, of meeting it. And then you also need to think about the obstacles you'll have to fight to get to that greatness. She said, make sure that you don't skip the obstacles part. A lot of times we'll get stuck in the greatness. And then when an obstacle comes, we haven't previewed. So we don't know how to, like, work ourselves out of that situation um third was goal planning which she called implement implementation intentions i'm not sure why that was a mouthful but basically they call this if then planning which to me is really setting up contingencies so if this occurs i'm gonna do this if this happens i'm gonna do that She equated it to kind of like being in a dining hall. Like you go in with the intention of eating like healthy food, but then you see pizza. Mm -hmm. So you need to have a plan B like, if I see pizza, what am I going to do? Okay, pre-planned contingencies. I'm not mad at that. This actually reminds me like one semester in school, I was like, if I don't get my homework done 
like a predetermined time before class. It was that class where we reviewed articles and I waited every time to like bust my ass in the library right before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, if if I don't get these done, then I am not getting a pump pumpkin spice latte this season. You know, it reminds so first of all, I remember you holding yourself accountable by telling other people when you made those deals. <laughs> but also, this reminds me a lot of the pre-Mac principle, which is just kind of first we're going to do this, then we're going to do that. Right. Which I do that with myself all the time, kind of the opposite of what you did. So I'm going to get these things done and then I'm going to go get myself some coffee or something. It reminds me a little bit of that too. I definitely agree. That's what I thought was like, oh, pre-mag principle, like how easy. Mm-hmm. With the contingency I set up in grad school, I really just think my reinforcer wasn't strong enough to hold my attention because like at the end of the day, I didn't want that pumpkin spice latte that much. I could have right. done something else. And honestly, our setup in grad school to get to a Starbucks was so inconvenient that I just mm-hmm. turned into a Dunkin' girl because they had a drive through where our Starbucks was like in a Kroger or like our student center where we had to physically get out of the car. There was just a lot yes. more cost response involved and I was not about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you needed a different reinforcer then. Yeah, but that was pre-BCBA days. I know better now. You were still learning. We were all still learning. So the final and fourth step for this goal setting is a technique they call WHOOP, which is stands for Wish, Outcome, Obstacle, Plan. They reference an article for this, and it in that article, they kind of call it MCII, which would be a combination of mental contrasting, implementation, intentions all in one. That's essentially Mm -hmm. what WHOOP is. So I really like this. They also did this in a study with little kids, like grade schoolers, where they set like five minutes at the beginning of the day and they had to make a wish that was related to their coursework. And they saw that the kids moved from like a C grade to like a B grade just from kind of like doing this visualization about their goal and like planning the obstacles and whatnot so I thought that was pretty interesting yeah yeah then week seven you get a rewirement challenge and this rewirement follows you through the rest of the course it's just four weeks of committing to some rewirement and setting a goal that we've previously talked about in the course I did not do this because, well, we'll get to why I didn't do it, but (laughs) I feel like I do a lot of these and that's essentially why I didn't pick like one goal and stick through it. But in weeks nine and 10, she gives a little pro tip, which might be helpful for listeners. Week nine's pro tip is designing your environment to assist in achieving your goals, which she already said to do that but this is a thing that I feel like antecedent interventions can really attest to and help that's exactly what I was thinking of so if you're really good at kind of like picking out what I like to call your friction points are Mm -hmm. 
then you can kind of like work backwards and already plan to like implement an antecedent intervention there. And then week 10's pro tip is just keeping a growth mindset. So being open to change and kind of like adapting to those obstacles and sticking with the plan. So overall, like a really interesting course. Um, Again, I don't think we are necessarily the target audience because just from our backgrounds, we kind of knew a lot of this information already. Um, But it's always a good reminder. I definitely still learned new things and we'll kind of get into like some of the stuff we were already doing, but some of it, some of it we weren't. Right. But in week one, we also learn about the G.I. Joe fallacy, Mm -hmm. which was also like saying that we know is half the battle. So I think the stuff that we're not doing is definitely just as interesting because there's so many things we could have been doing. Mm -hmm. And even though knowing is half the battle, we're going to see like that doesn't necessarily make us do those things more just because we know it. Right. Do we want to go over our baseline data? Yeah, sure. So in the first week of the course, they have you do um, kind of four different measures. Three of them are like to gauge your happiness. And the other one is to figure out your character strengths. Um, Let's start with our character strengths. Okay. So I've got my top five character strengths. It's a list of like 24, I think, Mm -hmm. um, in order. I just focused on my top five. um, And they were fairness, judgment, humility, teamwork, and honesty, which I was a little surprised. But then the more I thought thought about it, I was like, that really fits into our field like really well (laughs) okay I could see a lot of those in you yeah what were yours Mariah okay mine were you guys are gonna think I'm so nerdy if you didn't already (laughs) (laughs) love of learning judgment perspective gratitude and perseverance I love those for you and we both got judgment Right. Right. (laughs) This is exactly where I would put like that evil emoji at. (laughs) The little like (laughs) devil horns. Yes. I love that emoji. Top five pick for sure. Definitely. So the whole point of figuring out your character strengths was that we learned if you can find activities and especially like work to do that aligns with those character strengths, you're going to tend to be happier because that's something that aligns with your values and that you're good at and can help induce that flow state that they talked about. I love the idea of flow so much. So there was like the 24 and I think for the flow, they say to pick your top seven. I really think that's like the seven that you identify the most with. I'm not Mm going to argue with my top five. I feel like I am pretty aligned with those. But some other like funny ones that I have are zest. Like that one (laughs) is very you. I feel pretty zesty. So I might identify as that creative. Curiosity. Prudence. 
those are like some random ones of mine that I was just like, okay, maybe I identify with those. Okay. Are you ready to have your mind blown a little bit? So I gave you my top five. Number six for me is love of learning. Seven is curiosity. Eight is prudence. And nine is kindness. Oh, where's your zest? I guess I'm not as zesty, but (laughs) a lot of ours match up. And I feel like that's really interesting. Oh, yeah. Because I have like bravery is my sixth. Honesty, seven. Kindness is eight. I have humor, humility, fairness, teamwork, self-regulations on mine. That's good. Oh, Mariah, zest for me is number 23 out of 24. Yes. I am not zesty at all. <laughs> Look, you're level 23 zesty. That's the worst. Why? Because <laughs> that's the lowest on your list. 24 is last on your list. Well, guess what my for 24 me, that was, is. For me, my number 24 was spirituality. Oh my god, so is mine. Uh, <laughs> the irony. <laughs> that's hilarious. That is really funny about our spirituality. This is not a priority for us, and that's okay. Right. (laughs) And then there were three other kind of survey-based measures we did to measure our happiness. The first one was called PERMA. It stands for Positive Emotion, Engagement, Relationships, Meaning, and Accomplishment Questionnaire. Uh, We did the Authentic Happiness Inventory And then the last one was just a five-point Likert scale where you just asked yourself how happy you are with your life right now on a scale of one to five. Very reliable. Right. Well, (laughs) I like that one better than some of the others, and we can talk about that in a second. (laughs) So for PERMA, that was a a one to ten or maybe zero to ten scale, and then the other two were both out of five. So before I give my scores... For the people that know me in real life, I'm fine. I need you to know that before I tell you my scores. Check in on your friends. (laughs) I do not test well on these, okay? Okay. So for my PERMA, my overall well-being was 6.8 out of 10. So that's okay. My authentic happiness was 2.8 out of 5. And then I thought I was a 4 out of 5. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. The questionnaires didn't necessarily agree with my own interpretation. Right. Interesting. Okay. So my baseline for my PERMA score, this was the zero out of 10, we believe. Mine was an 8.33. And then for my authentic happiness... This one was one out of five. My baseline was 3.71. And then I kind of BS'd the like self-report one to five scale. But I would say my baseline was a three. That sounds fair. Yeah, I think it checks out. So I thought it was interesting before we talk about our recent post-test results to kind of take some time and do sort of the rewirement activity Mm -hmm. 
um for week seven through ten and just kind of like review things that we do in our life that we might have taken from this course or stuff we've already been implementing that could attribute to our overall happiness scores and then we can follow up with our post-test scores and see how this has changed okay so i feel like i already implemented a pretty good chunk of this stuff before we necessarily did the course like I personally identify as a pretty happy individual not to be misconstrued as an optimistic individual because I'm very much not an optimistic individual I identify as more of a realist and that gives me pretty pessimistic out look on on life okay so jumping into the activities that i already do i personally optimize trying to achieve eight to nine hours of sleep to feel my personal best this was a slow process to get to this point but i genuinely had to refocus on curating a better sleep hygiene routine in the evening And kind of sticking to that routine. So now my general routine looks more like dinner. And then I do some Duolingo every night. Then I watch TV. Then I have a face routine that I go through. Then I take supplements, drink water, and I go to bed. But specifically once I go to bed, I refuse to engage with my phone anymore. So I have all of my alarms like preset and then I just like that's my end of the night. I also engage in some type of daily movement. This is typically at least 30 minutes and it's always something I enjoy. That's how it's sustainable for me. For social connections, I typically set reminders on my phone to... Make sure I'm calling my parents or some type of family member I'm not close to. And then my partner and I, if we're eating out, we engage in phone-free meals. So we, this has been a long-standing rule in our relationship. If we're like out eating dinner or a meal, we will not use our phones. And it's great because... It gives that little extra connection that you don't necessarily think you're missing until you have like a really great conversation instead of just the status quo of like, hey, how was your day? You know, let's you get let's you get the time like carved out to go a little deeper without being rushed. Um, Additionally, I do have a journaling regimen. It's not always the most consistent thing, but I've purchased a journal that I really like to use, which is just a basic moleskin. And at the end of each journal entry, I do include a list of gratitude. So that is already paired together. Like every time I journal, I'm already writing a gratitude list and like reflecting on that. When we covered savoring in the course, it really made me reflect on like, when do I actually savor and how does savoring look for me? Because I was identifying savoring doesn't really look like what it looks like in the course for me. Mm -hmm. Savoring for me looks like I'm typically in the car with somebody, like in a smaller space 
or engaging in more of an experience. And I'm just kind of like reflecting like, oh, we're, we're in this same space because we're going to do like XYZ activity together or like, wow, I really appreciate this person for like being present here to do this with me and like have these things or something like that. But it typically for me occurs in a car setting. I don't know why. (laughs) And then we kind of already know this little fact about me, but I'll never pass up a good time to talk about it, which is minimizing materials and prioritizing experiences, which is probably one of my favorite topics. (laughs) So everyone who knows me knows that I often curate my personal items. I'm... Like my dad even told me a few months ago that I was, I lived in the most bare adult house he's ever seen before. And I think he meant it more of like a backhanded compliment, but I was like, oh, thank you. (laughs) Of course you took that as a compliment. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, I love it. (laughs) Give me more, (laughs) give me more of those compliments and less of the items. Um, I also joke around a lot, like when my cats are acting up, I say that they're going to go to Goodwill. (laughs) I won't, I won't actually take my cats to Goodwill, but it's a fun little threat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I find that this is easiest if I am constantly in a state of curation. So if I notice I have an item that's just kind of been sitting idle for a while, or an item that I don't necessarily need anymore. I tend to take immediate action and then pass it on. And I pass it on in the way that's most sustainable for that item, whether that's like recycling, finding someone who can actually reuse it. I'm in a local buy nothing group. So if I'm trying to give something away, I just give it away instead of giving it away to the companies previously mentioned that just make a profit off of you. So I can actually like give back to my community and help people who are in need. So I get a lot of joy and fulfillment from doing that. And then another quick tip that I implement in my daily life is I set limits on social media. Mm -hmm. All through undergrad, I had a strict no social media presence at all. And I did this on purpose so I could focus. I knew that I already needed to get out of my like hometown environment. But when I went away out of state to school, it was like I could create and morph that environment into what I needed it to give me. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I had to set restrictions on myself. It's easy to doom scroll. It wasn't as easy to doom scroll then. But now it's like really gotten out of hand so I set limits on social media certain platforms I refuse to engage with at all Mm -hmm. other platforms I might have a presence but I don't post anything and then I have like one or two preferred platforms and I set time limits on those additionally in terms of social media your time limit like allows me To limit the consumption of products, ads, or emails that I'm getting. That's true. So this really, like, reduces the amount of the comparison game that I play with myself to, like, uh, 
comparing people who have products that I might like, like comparing social influencers and whatnot, especially like um, around the holidays when you're buying gifts for people, you always get their marketing emails afterwards. I carve out a little set of time to unsubscribe to those emails when I receive them Mm -hmm. so that I'm no longer being targeted for that stuff. And to take it a step further, if I really need some kind of extreme behavior change, my husband and I will block specific websites from our home access mm-hmm. if if we don't want to be marketed to those like specific things. For a while, we went through this um, internal struggle of going to Crumble every week. I know that Danny's not in a location where she has access to Crumble. But never experienced <laughs> within a six mile radius. I think I have three crumbles. So that's a lot. <laughs> right. Just imagine the crumble rabbit hole I was falling down and it was completely derailing my self-discipline when it came to my fitness goals. So instead, we've blocked our web the website. I've blocked them on social media and I refuse to check what flavors they have I even deleted their app from my phone so I couldn't check that way because I needed like a hard and fast intervention and happy to report no extinction bursts have been exhibited wow (laughs) okay but those are just like some quick little tips that I was already implementing before we even did the course which I think attributed a lot to like my overall high ratings to begin with Mm -hmm. so I feel like I feel like I was already winning I mean it sounds like it yeah I feel like um Charlie Sheen oh don't compare (laughs) to Charlie Sheen I mean only better than that only in his winning area <laughs> not Charlie Sheen now. <laughs> right. Not Charlie Sheen now, but when Charlie Sheen went through the like winning era and like Tiger Blood era. <laughs> oh, Mariah. <laughs> right. It he is was on what it drugs is. when he said that. <laughs> I'm high on life. Amen. Wow. <laughs> Bring them so... back. <laughs> oh, Charlie. Oh gosh, I don't know what to say. Anyway. (laughs) But no, I think you were already doing a lot of that stuff. And I think that probably does speak to, you know, your high scores and your general like contentment with your life. I've actually had numerous conversations about like, how do you achieve being content in your life with some other like colleagues And it's always interesting to hear other people's perspectives and like what Mm -hmm. they're kind of chasing. But I think a lot of times in the pursuit, you kind of forget the journey. Mm -hmm. And if anything, like this course has kind of like let me have that reflective time to think of all the stuff I am really fortunate to have and just use my like check my privilege, like see how much like time affluence I actually have like what do I get to do when I have free time and how we engage in hobbies more than other people our age. And, you know, we constantly have like a creative outlet, but on top of that, I'm also like 
moving and eating and sleeping well and making social connections when I have the chance. And I think that on top of like typical privilege is something like other people can't really identify. And that's what I think will attribute to my retest scores. You know, I would say I feel like I got something similar out of the course as well. Like if I got anything from the various rewirements, it was just the opportunity to stop and realize how much I already had in my life, you know, and I was already doing a lot of this kind of stuff anyway, but sometimes it becomes very much mundane. Like you just do it because it's routine and you're not really being mindful about it. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So I think like the savoring rewirement was one that I really liked. I typically am pretty good about being mindful about certain uh, events and activities, especially ones that I really enjoy. But what I ended up doing was working that kind of savoring and mindfulness kind of in with the gratitude rewirement. So if you guys listened to our goals episode, you'll know that I have been tracking my goals in a bullet journal. Well, what I've done is I've added kind of a section in that bullet journal for writing in um, gratitude. I don't necessarily do it every day, but whenever we do something like the other day, my um, I went out and got boba. There's like a bubble tea place, but it's like a little over 20 minutes from my house. So I don't go there very often. So when I do, it's kind of a special occasion. So I took a minute to write that and like what I got and I kind of, it was really good, you know? So I took a minute to like write these kind of savoring moments in the gratitude section of my bullet journal as I'm going through and tracking my habits and whatnot for the month. So that's something that I was also kind of already doing. Uh, I just formalized it a little bit and it's nice to have kind of a written record of that to go back and look at all the fun things I did you know, throughout the months. I am not a random act of kindness person. So when it came (laughs) to that rewirement, uh, the random act of kindness that I did, I left my quarters in my Aldi carts when I went grocery shopping. And I, (laughs) it was very much a like, I hope the next person likes this. And also look at me. I'm so nice. You better put that in your budget. That 25 cents. I know. Cause I keep a quarter in my keys just for that I had to restock my quarter but it was okay it was a random act of kindness so I'm not going to do it all the time (laughs) you're killing it I know um but that's not one that I do all the time so it might be something I add in it might not so social connection was another rewirement that like really kind of made me think and take my day kind of in perspective and it's one that I'm not necessarily as good at so especially on the days that I work from home I can be by myself for hours at a time because my partner works multiple jobs so it's more of an effort for me to make that social connection and reach out to other people because there are definitely times where sometimes a couple days in a row if I don't make that that effort to talk to other people I might just spend a lot of time solo, which is fine. Like we all need our time alone, but if you want to maintain those connections, then you also have to make the effort to reach out. So that's something that kind of forced me to take some perspective into that. So that's something that I've been working on there. And then 
um, Mariah is very good about exercise and working movement into her day. Again, if you guys listen to our goals episode, you'll know that this is one of my goals. So I don't want to talk about it too much here. But prioritizing sleep is something that I am very good at and that I have been doing for years. Because I know that if I don't get about eight hours of sleep, I can go a little bit less, but about eight hours of sleep, I know that my functioning drastically decreases throughout the day and I'm just not as productive or I'm not as in as good of a mood as I want to be. So sleep is something that I was also kind of already doing, just kind of built into my routine. Yeah, I think sleep so easily gets away from us. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things where if you are trying to practice your time management skills throughout your day and you're not really like getting it yet or you just like, you know, the day just gets away from you, mm-hmm. it's really hard and well, I guess it's really easy to just kind of like let your sleep go by the wayside. But I've noticed the more you stick to like your evening routine, your routine just like happens. Your body, you know, starts to create that melatonin naturally and you're gearing down for the night. So the more and you I, stick to it, it's easier. Definitely. And I also. I do feel like my sleep was worse when we were in college. And I feel like that's partially because our schedules were so, um, were a little more random. Like they weren't as regular. So I do feel like if you can get to a regular routine, you know, like you said, Mariah, that kind of stuff becomes easier. And really, I think the biggest one for me that makes the most difference in my overall, like, attitude but that I was kind of already prioritizing is that time affluence uh you can ask any of my friends or my coworkers. work-life balance is a huge value of mine uh and I talk about it all the time I talked about it with my boss on our first day of work because it's just a really big priority for me is being able to prioritize my life outside of work along with work to achieve that balance and I think that really speaks to the time affluence part of the rewirement Um, so that's another one that I was kind of already doing that I think played a big part in my scores Um, although before we talk about our post-test scores I will say again I just know for me personally I don't test well on these surveys and I think that that should be acknowledged right like these surveys they're they're biased for a lot of different reasons Um, For me personally, I've taken a lot of these surveys just in my schooling. I was a psych major um, in undergrad and then behavior analysis as a master's. You know how they're scored. You know how the scores are going to come out based on whatever you answer. And it influences what you're going to put, you know. I definitely agree. Like midway through the score just both of us being psych majors and then going into behavior analysis I had flashback taking these Likert scale tests because I was like oh they're gonna reverse score this question all right like they so they really want me to answer like this Mm -hmm. so the data is definitely skewed I do feel like my results are still accurate in a way that it's like reflecting what is true to my life Mm -hmm. but I also think we could get that from your own self-report scale 
because my numbers are aligning the same yeah and- um i think another valid point though is that happiness is fluid like you're allowed to have concurring emotions you mm-hmm. can be happy and also be sad at the same time so to just like try to achieve happiness as a end-all be-all emotion like top tier that's all you're ever gonna do i think you would be doing yourself a disservice by missing out on all of the other like spectrum of emotions that are available in the journey of life so happiness Mm -hmm. isn't like the only goal right and it is fluid you know so if you do take these tests I wouldn't put too much stock in the score because if you take it tomorrow or like the next week, it'll probably be a little bit different. So with that, do you want to go over our post test scores? Sure. So my uh, PERMA score, remember pre-test, it was 6.88. Post-test, it was 7.19. So we saw an increase there. The authentic happiness inventory pre-test was 2.88, post-test was 3.33, so another increase there. And then my general how happy are you uh, was a a 4 out of 5, so I felt like it stayed the same. Okay, Mm -hmm. so my PERMA baseline was 8.33, and my retest was a 9.3. So it increased. My authentic happiness baseline was 3.71. And then my retest for it was 4.17. Slight increase there. Mm -hmm. And then my self-report on a scale of 1 to 5. My baseline was a 3. And my end is a 4. I feel like this does check out. Because at the beginning of the year. We kind of like both acknowledge there were some variables that could affect your emotions like I was kind of in a a self-identified rough patch Mm -hmm. um you know the weather could be a factor some people are like not really into new year's goals or like you know change is really hard for some people like that could attribute a lot of things to when we took these scores the first time um or maybe you were like getting ready to return from work off of like a holiday break and you just weren't feeling it but (laughs) there's a lot of things that could change but that's okay because happiness is fluid like our emotions are going to be ever-changing I think the important part of like going through this course is really seeing techniques that are applicable and like pretty easy to implement that can give you just like a little boost you don't need to go from like zero to ten to like feel like you're improving your happiness and you don't have to do all of these things at one time like I certainly don't do every single one of those techniques I've said every single day but Mm -hmm. some of them I do every day and that's I think what keeps like the consistency and the discipline and the level of my happiness pretty stable. Yeah. Yeah. So 
overall, it sounds like we both did have an increase according to these self-report surveys. Um, I would not confidently say it is because of the course, you know, we are both behavior analysts. So we're going to look at the environment in which the behavior occurs and acknowledge that that, that that environment has changed from when we took the pre-test to when we took the post-test. I do feel, still think it's a, it's a good, it's a valuable course to take, especially if you're not familiar with some of the science and um, do like Mariah and I did take what, take what works for you and leave what doesn't. I love that. With that, I hope everybody like takes what they need from the course and can see an improvement in their happiness. Before we close out, Danny, what's our next episode going to be about? And then we can hop into bits and bobs. So we did a poll um, based on what our listeners want to hear. We're going to be talking about boundaries in a couple weeks. I'm very excited about this because I love boundaries. Me too. I love a good boundary. Do you have any bits and bobs recommendations for us this week, Danny? So I have a confession to make. Oh, I'm scared. For my bits and bobs. I bought a new water bottle. And if you listened uh, to our last episode, you'll know that I was a little bit on my high horse because I have less water bottles than Mariah does. Yeah, you were literally just... (laughs) You were just razzing me about my Stanley. To be fair, this one was on sale and I've wanted it for a while. So my Bits and Bobs is the Owala water bottles. That's O-W-A-L-A. They're colorful. They have a built-in straw and it was on sale at Target. So I'm not sorry about it. I've used it every day since I bought it. With an eye roll. I'm happy about it. It's bringing me joy. Well... I'm happy for you. (laughs) My bits and bobs is going to be a Court of Thorns and Roses series. (laughs) I had to get it before you got it. Okay, Danny. So Danny started reading the series and then I started reading it. It's actually a series of. It says five books, but there's like a little novella, so five and a half. It's a fantasy series. It's pretty good. Danny and I are on the same book right now, which is so good. A Court of Wings and Ruin. And I just want to say like Danny will read a little bit of the book and sometimes she's ahead of me and then I'll read a little bit and then I'm ahead of her. And then we talk back and forth. And before you know it, this is like a hidden social connection. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we really get a lot of value out of this. The books, most books in general, aren't that expensive unless we're talking about some overpriced textbooks. So if you have the time affluence, you enjoy reading and fantasy, this could be a book series for you. And I think they're making it into like a show. Shut up. They're not. That might be a lie, but that's a rumor that I've heard on the internet. So I'm trying to get it read before it turns into a show. Okay, if you're like me, though, this is like your little quick tip. Do not read the fan fictions on, like, fandom because I just, like, 
I go down a spiral and then I read some spoilers. But look, I'm not mad. No, never read fan fiction until you're through the series. That's like reading 101, Mariah. <laughs> Listen, I have anxiety and sometimes reading the spoilers helps like calm my nerves so I can re-regulate. Don't at me. We have another friend who does that too. You guys crack me up every time. <laughs> I know, but it just helps me. It lets me like preview what's already coming and then I can look forward to stuff even more or not, but I won't be like just riddled with anxiety until then. No, that's fair. I guess I do something similar, but like if I think something's going to happen, like somebody's going to die or something, I'll flip through the next couple pages to see if I see that person's name pop up again. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes I'll also like start a book by reading the very last sentence of the novel. That's always oh. fun. I started doing that like years ago, but I, it's always like, and then she never saw her husband again. And I'm like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> like something serious. And then I have to like rework the whole novel in my head backwards. It That's always really fun. Well, that's a really good recommendation. I'm a little biased because I'm about halfway through the middle of the series, but that one's good. That's a good one. Right. Hopefully we'll finish that book by next time. Maybe. We'll see. Well, until then. Thanks for listening today. You can find us on Instagram at, at behindbehaviorpod. Or if you're old school, send us an email at contactbehindbehavior at gmail.com. Smell you later.